Welcome to Data Driven Recruiting. In this podcast, we talk about strategies and techniques for leveraging objective talent data to improve hiring processes. Welcome back to Data Driven Recruiting. I'm your host, Sophia, and today we have a special guest, Alex Kim. Hi, Alex. Hi, Sophia. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. I guess uh, to, to get started, for our listeners, could you introduce yourself, you know, and kind of what you do now and your kind of a career overall? Great. So my name is Alex Kim. I'm, I'm currently the, the head of talent acquisition at Dave. Dave is a fintech company that was originally based in Los Angeles. We've actually just recently uh, made the move to a virtual first environment, meaning, you know, we're hiring people to work remote across the U.S., we're a, a Series B company that just announced actually that we're going through a SPAC merger um, that will be finalized uh, later this year, which we're very much excited about. Prior to working at Dave, uh, I'd spent uh, a little over six years at Uber in a variety of different roles from um, leading recruiting teams with some of the growing startups within the organization like Uber Freight and Uber Elevate. Um, I worked in a, an HR business partner capacity, um, some strategy and planning type work um, for our global recruiting team. Prior to that, I was, I was working in an agency setting at Robert Half. And before that, in another life, it feels, um, I was working at Deloitte as a public accountant there. Yeah. Well, thanks for kind of walking us through. How, I guess I'm just curious, how did you first uh, made a move from being a public accountant into the recruiting world? Yeah. I mean, that's. It's definitely a question that I get quite a bit. You know, the transition happened with, well, you know, Deloitte was kind of a no-brainer for me. I'd studied accounting and finance and economics at uh, Santa Barbara. I'd gotten an internship and went through that whole process during school and um, had that job uh, with Deloitte kind of ready for me uh, when I had graduated. I did it for about two years. I got my license, which was a, a milestone that I wanted to hit personally. But the lifestyle of a public accountant wasn't exactly one that um, that I was excited to be in. We had very, very uh, long and challenging uh, busy seasons where the majority of our time would be behind a computer in small, at times windowless conference rooms, uh, working on spreadsheets for you know, 12, 15 hours a day. So at a certain point, uh, I got to the end of my rope and actually reached out to a friend of mine who was working at Robert Half. Uh, it's a, a big staffing firm. Yeah, yeah. So I reached out to him and said, hey, do you have any uh, jobs where I could leverage my uh, you know, accounting and finance knowledge and maybe in more of like a sales type setting, just because I felt like my interpersonal skill set was a strength of mine. And he had just called me back and said, why don't you just come work here? You know, I'd never thought about recruiting. And most people say that, right? They just kind of fall into the practice. And I very much did. So I ended up moving from Southern California up to San Francisco, started working um, in the agency setting, um, really found my footing in success. But, you know, when I was thinking about where I want to go with my career on the agency side, there are certain limitations in terms of scope of role and um, kind of that professional growth. Now, there are less limitations in terms of compensation, which is why a lot of people like working in that setting. But um, I, I was really interested in going in-house. At the time, Uber was in their Series D, about a thousand employees. Um, and I had a friend of mine working in the operations front out of uh, one of their European headquarters. He was in town in the Bay Area. He was talking to me at dinner and said how amazing the company was, how fast they were growing. And I was very intrigued. So interviewed and, and got the job and the rest is history. Yeah. I mean, you know, 1000, that's like now, now how many people are at Uber? It's like, you're one of the very. Gosh, very I would say probably 30,000 plus people. Right. I mean, the recruiting team while I was there had hit 
700 plus people globally. So bigger than, I mean, three times, four times bigger than the startup that I'm at now. So um, yeah, we've, we've grown quite a bit from those early days. Yeah. And every company, like recruiting is important. I think when, when you're at a high growth environment where you are doubling your team or tripling your team every year, I think there is a lot of uh, also like not only just the pressure, but it's like so much going on, right? <laughs> so sure. yeah, how would you, I guess, uh, one of the interesting things that you observe that you think you wouldn't have observed if you were not at a high growth environment? Sure. That's a great question, Sophia. When I think about my time at Uber, I feel so fortunate because I felt like I had an opportunity to really experience a variety of different companies while staying at one organization. What I mean by that is when I joined kind of that later stage startup, we were still growing incredibly fast. And then we kind of got to work in this like pre-IPO setting, preparing for us to hit the public market. And then that transition as we went public into creating a more mature recruiting function, I I feel like I worked at three different companies there um, and got to kind of really experience that in very, very tight windows. So within that six-year timeline, again, those early stages where I was a very small, tight recruiting team, we were sitting on the floor um, with the, the, the leaders that we were supporting, you know, engaging with the C-suite as well as the kind of the leaders across the organization on a daily basis, and then uh, transitioning into a more, like I said, mature environment where you're just kind of creating this recruiting machine where there's tons of volume coming through. You're a lot more focused on efficiency around conversion rates, time and stage, accept rates, and really kind of thinking of, at that macro level versus in that early startup stage in that kind of micro individual transactions. So for me, again, I felt fortunate in the sense that I got to experience all of these things while staying at one organization and maintaining that institutional knowledge that I built over time. Yeah, yeah. And actually, you kind of point out an interesting thing, which is like in the previous episode, we also talked about recruiting operations as the field is like growing really quickly. And it's something that we also saw in the sales org, right? Like sales, it was all about kind of creating the machine. And then it's like, how do we make each sales rep more efficient by creating systems and processes and metrics and, you know, more of operational excellence to there. So I'm also curious to hear, I guess, uh, now that you've also experienced like much smaller startup environment and heading up the entire, you know, the talent acquisition part, how, I guess, uh, what are some of the key recruiting operations aspect that you think is helpful for when you're trying to build scalable machine, what it needs to be there early so that so that you know it actually works later on. So, like, what are some of the things that people should prioritize uh, getting in early sure. to create that and have that recruiting operations? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great question. And you know, I, we actually just filled our first TA operations manager role. Congrats. Shout out to Asha, who's starting in August. Uh, when we kind of came up with the job description, really, I, I kind of broke it down into three pillars of what we were thinking through. It came down to process, reporting, and systems. When you talk about what's the most important, there's obviously a variety of things, and it's really contingent upon the environment that you're working in and the kind of historical information about what's worked, what hasn't, what are the current problem areas. But for me, really, I think what 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 I'm most focused on right now is really aligning on process. Uh, what I mean by that is everything from how we engage with candidates externally, um, how we actually interview, and how we move candidates through our recruiting workflow. Specifically on that moving candidates through the w- recruiting workflow piece, driving some level of the consistency, knowing that there is no 
one size fits all recruiting process across all the different departments that we support. For me, I just want to make sure that we're actually passing candidates through consistently. And what I mean by that is that they're hitting all the appropriate stages and that we are providing an equitable process for everyone that's coming through and interviewing at Dave. The reason why that's important is one thing I find is when you're in these earlier stage environments where you're having to move incredibly fast, you have you know referrals that you fast track or specific roles that might be opened up for just kind of opportunistic candidates that you want to bring in. That's great and all because you do need to move fast in the startup environment, but what that hurts you with is just understanding how efficient you're being across a whole organization. So for me, when I came in, there were situations where recruiters weren't processing their phone screens in our applicant tracking system. So because of that, we're seeing a higher volume of people at the hiring manager stage than that ever hit the recruiting phone screen stage. And because of that, you're, you're losing insights around conversion rate. Um, I think for me, aligning on that process, ensuring that that clean candidate through throughput in your uh, recruiting lifecycle is so critical because um, once you have that critical mass of, of candidates that have gone through over a fixed period of time, you're able to actually look back and see, okay, what worked well and what did, right? So mm -hmm. if you're seeing, let's say, 100% pass the rate from recruiter phone screen to the hiring manager stage, mm -hmm. and then from the hiring manager stage to the onsite, you're only seeing one in four people get through. There's clearly a calibration issue there between the recruiter and who they're passing along to the hiring manager and what the hiring manager really thinks is sufficient to actually get to the onsite stage, right? Those types of insights, and you could switch that around as well, right? Let's say, for example, the hiring manager keeps passing a ton of people to onsite, but maybe only one in five of them actually get an offer. In that situation, right, the hiring manager is is maybe being a little bit too too open to candidate profiles that are making it through and not doing a sufficient enough job of assessing whether or not they're a good fit for the role at that stage. So being able to get that data and really understand where those kind of weak points are in the process of where you may need to analyze a little bit deeper um, and just understanding what's going on, that is what's most critical. So uh, you're kind of flying blind without that information. You're just assuming like, great, we have offers coming through, yeah. um, but are we being the most efficient with our recruiters, sourcers, coordinators time, along mm -hmm. with the interviewers and the hiring managers that you're working with, right? Right, right. Um, when you're thinking about an onsite, I mean, that's five, six hours of your team's time and being thoughtful about how you're using that time and ensuring that, you know, you could get the people that you need, uh, but not straining these folks that are already wearing multiple hats, having these large projects and, and scope of work that they're having to do on a day-to-day -day basis um, is something that you want to really find a balance with. Right, right. I think you hit on a really, really good point because, yeah, if you are just like, you know, oh, yeah, we hired the people, number of people that we plan to hire and we made a goal, like achieve a goal, it's it's not, right? Because you you have to think about the multi-dimension, yeah, like how, how what was the cost of a hire, Right, totally. like per hire and and calculated based on the number of hours, and then being able to track and identify, yeah, where in the funnel do we think we can make the most um, progress? Which kind of brings the interesting question of when you're thinking about the recruiting funnel and kind of having that, you know, oh, like judgment, like, oh, hey, here is like maybe the pass through rate is too low or too high. Like, how do you benchmark that? And also, is that different depending on the, the department that you're recruiting for or the situation you're in? Yeah, I mean, for me, when I'm, I'm, I'm thinking through, through goals for members of my team, as well as setting expectations with the business, it's hard to sit, uh, set something or, or one metric as being 
the North Star for a particular organization, because in many cases, it just depends, right? right? If you're hiring, let's say, for volume, a pipeline requisition, where you're just mm-hmm. hiring a ton of back-end software engineers, after a fixed period of time, you'll have an understanding of what that kind of, uh, that throughput will look like, at least within your organization. And from there, you can try and iterate to make things more efficient. But I think it, you know, saying three to one at this stage or two to one at this stage, it really does depend on the company and the team that you're working with and the type of role. Right, like these evergreen recs that are constantly open, you'll have a better sense of what good looks like. In situations where you're opening up a new role uh, for the first time at a company, those are ones where you're gonna be a little bit more flexible because you have to ensure that the team, not only the recruiters, but the hiring team is also calibrated as to what they really need for the position. Um, so that's kind of a, a non-answer for you, but the, the takeaway here is it really depends on the company and the environment in which you're working, as well as the type of role that you are hiring for. Yeah, yeah. Instead of setting a strict, this is the industry benchmark and we need to be there. Like you need to have a better understanding of your situation and how and why yeah. I look different. And that's that's okay. Yeah. How do you set the goal for your team? Is that is that an annual goal? Is it a quarterly goal? And what is set as the goal versus what what do you also measure it's not a goal but it's something we measure and look at i think in an ideal state you measure a variety of different things there's the qualitative data so you're thinking candidate feedback surveys hiring manager feedback surveys and then there's the quantitative side so you're looking at candidate throughput time and stage accept rates as well as a variety of other metrics and those are the kind of uh, things that you want to drive through. So it's not always just going to be one individual goal that you're setting for the team. It's this holistic kind of dashboard that you would envision that breaks down all these different subsections within the recruiting process. Uh, for me, I like to set goals on a monthly basis, just something that's a little bit more tangible. But the reality is that you're really looking at productivity over time, knowing that recruiting can be quite cyclical if you're doing a ton of candidate outreach for one week and then a ton of phone screens and passing candidates through the process. That can change. So I like to give members of my team a North Star of where they should be on a monthly basis, but also explain to them that, again, if you don't hit it this month, but you have a, you know, a, a big month the, the month after, I mean, that can all balance out over time. So yeah, monthly, but yeah, we are generally looking in aggregate um, over a full year. I see. And is that based on the recruiter? Like everyone has their rec and they're kind of aware you should be based on how experienced they are or... So at this point in time, candidly within our organization right now, we're talking about, I was talking about process and how important that is within uh, the TA operations world. For us, we don't really have that data. Having only been with the company for about three months now. Um, one thing that we're working on is creating that consistent process so that we have an understanding of what the, the kind of candidate throughput looks at the top of the funnel. Right. So right now, considering that the data is not clean, my focus has very much been bottom of the funnel. So mm-hmm. offers that we actually get extended and accepted over a, a particular month. So that's what I'm goaling our recruiters and our sources out at this point in time, mm-hmm. knowing that as we have complete and accurate data that comes through, we'll be able to set targets at the top or higher up in the funnel. So thinking through a number of on-sites that you need for a particular period of time, mm-hmm. throughput of candidates at each level. Mm-hmm. Um, there are obviously differences when you're looking at kind of GNA hiring versus technical roles, product design, engineering. You're going to find that the, the market is obviously a little bit more strapped right now for that technical talent. So you might not see the high volume that you might find in a a sales recruiting organization or a customer support organization where there are uh, just just a wider pool of candidates to engage with. Yeah. Also, uh, super excited about, you know, 
the, your first recruiting operations hire, what are, I guess, uh, what's your kind of uh, vision for like recruiting operations for the next six months or a year? Yeah, I, I think first and foremost, we talked about the, well, we talked about the three pillars, right? I was uh-huh. talking about process, reporting, and systems. First things first is just understanding the existing process. I think when you come into a new organization, um, yeah. at least one thing that I think through is just like how to be sensitive to um, the processes that exist today, mm-hmm. because the company wouldn't be here if the recruiting team hadn't done what they had done over the, the course of however many years before right. you come into a particular role. So taking the time to really walk and sh- walk through and shadow the existing processes of the coordinators, the sources, recruiters, the hiring managers, even, and understanding what works there. And then uh, again, getting a sense of how you can drive some level of consistency across these organizations. Once that process is refined and um, we've we've kind of made the adjustments as needed, that reporting piece is what's initiated next, right? So can we now effectively report on um, the efficiency of our recruiting process, our progress towards the year-end hiring targets or the quarterly targets that are set up to the business and setting clear expectations with the business leaders that you are uh, working with and supporting? That's kind of like that phase two. Um, there's a, obviously a variety of different things that come into play. And again, it's contingent upon the environment that you're working in. It may be something like there's no interviewing kind of 101 training out there to give people the same foundation to stand on, on how we assess candidates, what quality looks like here at Dave in this particular department versus that one. So there are things like that, even on, on the other side of hiring managers, like how do hiring managers effectively think through opening up new roles, mm-hmm. um, setting panels and uh, setting clear competencies that each interviewer is setting. Those types of trainings may be required as well. So I don't want to just say process is the most important thing. It really depends on um, where you're working and, and where the existing gaps are. So we talk about data-driven recruiting, right? As a name of the podcast. How do you, I guess, overall like set expectation or guide um, hiring managers and how do you use data for that? So like, I mean, all these like metrics and the funnel analysis, I'm sure you're using it internally with your team to identify and, and better. But how, when you actually talk to the hiring managers, what have you seen as an effective way of using data sure. without also sure. overwhelming? Because depending on the audience, some gets it, some like likes data, some just like, that's beyond my just like flu. Sure. If you have to share some advice to a first time head of recruiting and thinking about stakeholder management, what, what's your advice like in terms of using data? I think one of the easiest things that you can do is just to provide hiring teams with a snapshot of of how the pipeline is looking, right? Like that's something that's easy that you can pull just based on which candidates are in play at which stage and and providing that snapshot. That's something that we do on a weekly basis. So saying, you know, we have X number of people on site here, their profiles, here are the people with pending offers, here's any rejects that happened recently and why. So providing that visibility about how we're, we're doing in a moment of time. Now, I think the kind of next stage, which I think is even more important, is just really around expectation setting. For example, when we came into Dave, we had hiring targets through the end of the year that we needed to hit, um, but we had a recruiting team that was not built to actually hit those hiring targets. So defining what capacity looks like for your team and being able to articulate that to your hiring man or the, the business leaders that you're working with so that they know um, what level of production you're going to get month over month and how you plan to increase that to meet the goals that you have set out for the year. So example, for us, we had, right when I had joined, we had one at Tritt, 
Um, we had only one fully ramp recruiter on the tech side. We had another contractor. So I was able to go to our uh, technical leadership team and just say, hey, we really one need to prioritize all of these open positions that you have and define really what the key priorities are. And then I was also articulate, be able to articulate to them and say, hey, we're probably only going to get X amount of hires this month. I know that's you know, significantly less than what we need in order to hit that year end target. But here's my plan on how to get there. Um, you know, we have this number of uh, recruiter and sourcer roles open. My expectation is that we can bring them on board by this time and they'll be ramped by this time where we'll expect them to be producing, you know, this number of hires per month. I know I'm using some, some just general terms, but really that, ex, uh, that expectation setting piece, I think is so critical because in many cases you find hiring teams in, in fast growing organizations being just so focused on hires and not really understanding how, for lack of a better term, the sausage is made, right? Like how we need a recruiting engine with a robust pipeline um, to ensure that we are hitting the volume that's required. So yeah, for me, it's the advice would be, of course, provide the snapshot of where you are in terms of your existing recruiting processes, but not being afraid to address the fact that you may not be in a position right now to meet those hiring expectations. That takes a little bit of the pressure off when you're being fully transparent to the organizations that you're supporting, rather than um, you continuing to chase targets that you won't be able to meet. So right. that would be my advice to a, a new head of recruiting out there. Yeah, no, I think that's a super, super important because, yeah, essentially, you are building the recruiting machine while trying to produce the results, right? And it's a, you can you cannot really, like, if you don't spend enough of investment and time to grow the recruiting machine, you maybe meet this month's goal, but not for the next 12 months. And it's a, it's a balance. And I think, yeah, being able to be upfront, this is what, what's going to be knowing like, you know, how many, what capacity we have. And, and then also I love how you are bringing, not just that we cannot now, but like, I have a plan. Totally. I have a plan to get there. And this yeah. is kind of a timeline. Yeah. I think in, in uh, like a TA leadership role, whether you're a manager or a head of, right, it's, it's your responsibility to, to manage the stakeholders that you're working with, right? And set the, setting those clear expectations, I think, are critical because that conversation that you have will lead to the transformation that you need, whether that's building up your team accordingly or refining processes or ensuring that, you know, everyone is aligned on where we need to be and how we're going to get there. For me, I think that takes a lot of pressure off the recruiting team who's you know, constantly chasing that volume and trying to hit these lofty targets, as well as the hiring team so that they can plan accordingly for um, having a, a smaller team size over the course of a period of time, setting themselves up for success there. Right. In a situation where they're expecting to have a team size of X and they're they're not there, mm -hmm. um, that stress will naturally roll onto the recruiting function because we are the, the key lever of, of bringing in additional talent. So again, I think that transparency piece is great because one, you can be open, address the problems that exist and come up with a solution, as well as uh, both the recruiting team and the hiring teams can plan accordingly for situations where they may not have the headcount that they had expected for that particular period. Yeah, yeah. How do you also set expectation for their responsibility? Because it's not really only recruiting organizations job to hire people, right? It's also with the hiring managers. And I think sometimes when you know, also new managers, new hiring managers might not be aware how much of their involvement is needed in, you know, setting the vision or like defining what the role is or, or how much they should also participate, you know, you know, getting the candidate excited or networking and, and so on. So how do you, let's, let's put it this way. 
if there's a new hiring manager becoming first time hiring manager, yeah. what are some of the advice you would give to them as kind of a, help them understand their side of the responsibility in hiring people? Totally. I think that's a, a great question. And, you know, some hiring managers come in and, and have a vision of what recruiting should be in their mind. Others have no idea. They're first time hiring managers that need the support. Uh, my general advice is the investment that they put in to the recruiting process will pay dividends in the future, right? So if you're spending a lot of time being thoughtful around the role, why it's open, um, how we're going to assess for candidates, that's going to create a more efficient process as everyone is aligned on what good looks like and how to actually identify that particular skill. I think beyond that, again, ensuring that they understand that hiring is part of their job, yeah. right? Um, the, their own success is contingent upon bringing in new people onto their team to build or grow whatever that they're working on. So making sure that they are prioritizing interviewing is something that's always critical for me. Beyond that, it's like, you know, leveraging the network that you have. The, there's that saying, you know, good people know good people. And I, I think in many cases, there's a lot of untapped pipeline through people's networks that a lot of people aren't getting into because they're so focused on their day job and not thinking through the responsibilities that they have to grow their respective teams. So again, making the time to be really thoughtful around what they're looking for, how to assess that talent through the process, understanding that they have to commit a fixed period of time with interviews so that you know once the volume starts coming through, we can actually hit those targets within the period of time that they're hoping for. And beyond that, again, you know, everyone is a recruiter at a company. Right. It's obviously there are recruiters who are dedicated to this, but everyone has a responsibility to to bring in talent. And I think beyond that, one thing that you brought up, Sophia, that I think is so important is when you are hiring for a role, especially in a market as competitive as the one that we're living through right now, it's everyone's responsibility to sell. You can't just be on a screen just grilling people with questions back and forth. You also have to be able to speak to why this company um, is so exciting to join, why this team is doing exciting things, and why this role is something that you should be engaged in. Uh, there are a lot of those things that aren't that seemingly are common knowledge to people within the recruiting and talent acquisition space, but for hiring managers who who are you know doing this for the first time it is always helpful to remind them and, and kind of teach them those skills that we kind of find a second nature within the ta space yeah yeah absolutely and i think even that was like some of the even when i was earlier in my career and starting to interview not as a hire manager but just as an interviewer right i think often you have this like i need to you know set the bar high for who gets into my team and like you try to be the gatekeeper versus no, I mean, like we asked, we asked somebody who was perfectly happy in their job and asked that come and learn about us. You cannot be only be one way about you're good enough or not good enough. It needs to be really the, the both way. So I totally agree with that. I guess a couple other interesting questions, kind of going back to the setting the machine, recruiting machine. One of the things that I'm also curious, you know, every organization is like, what are some of the, what's your tech stack, the like recruiting tech stack? Like, what do you use as a tool? Okay. These are not endorsements, by the way, but mm -hmm. uh, we use uh, Lever as our ATS. We use Top Funnel for our kind of outreach tool um, that we put on top of uh, LinkedIn. We, of course, have LinkedIn Recruiter, uh, which is you know, par for the course. Uh, good time is something that we use for scheduling. We've been using it since the beginning of the year. And those are the, the kind of core three that we're working with. Lever, Top Funnel, and good time. And do you feel like you have a good enough tool or what are some of the missing one or wish you had? Gosh, I think that what everyone wishes they had is a, is a functional reporting tool to work with. 
I think regardless of what ATS you're using, and I don't want to bash any in particular, but every single one has certain gaps in terms of capabilities where you're having to pull data out of the system and manipulate it independently. I would say that that's probably the biggest thing, a, a robust reporting function for recruiting that allows recruiting leaders, hiring managers to dive in and really kind of pull the data and manipulate it as they choose yeah. is something that's really important. You find that there are some kind of rigid barriers within ATS reporting systems that don't allow you to really get to where you want. Now, again, every organization has their own pain points, but for me, I, I would call that out as being one. Beyond that, overall, you know, the systems all work. We're happy with them, but we, you know, going back to the TA operations role, that's one of the things. That's that third pillar. It's systems. You know, especially as we're going through a transition now of being a private company to eventually public and thinking through SOX compliance of what information that we have to to keep and be able to report within the system. Um, that's one thing that we'll assess as we grow and mature as an organization. Of are the existing tools now going to allow us to be successful in this kind of future state of an organization that we plan to be? Yeah, and actually the the analytics part, recruiting analytics part is interesting because uh, I think the prior episode, we actually talked about, uh, talked with the cockroach lab and he, yeah, he has a pretty strong recruiting operations team. And what they do is, yeah, they export the entire data out into data warehouse and then put like a, you know, BI tool like Looker. And like, cause it's not enough to just go with whatever is already offered within the ATS. But I mean, it is that that requires a lot of expertise, right? So it's not something that every organization can afford to have from the sure. very early stage. So yeah, it's interesting to let me hear that. And and I I agree. We currently also export all the data out and then do the custom because there are many things that we want to dice and you know slice to to see. As you mentioned, good people know good people. Right. And that's how I guess I got to you were recommended to be on this podcast. Like, who do you so who do you recommend that we should have on this podcast? Yeah. Who are some of the, I guess, the TA leaders that you respect and want to hear from? Gosh, that's a, such a great question. What I love about Slack is that you can have these kind of different Slack groups that you're a part of. So uh, mm -hmm. there's a group of recruiting leaders that I worked very closely with during my time at Uber who have now gone to be heads of recruitings of different companies. Um, I think it, first and foremost, I have to to shout out my, I guess, mentor slash prior boss, Jim Baden. Um, he was the head of global recruiting at Uber for, I don't know, I think five, five-ish years. Mm -hmm. uh, I you know, learned a ton from him around mm -hmm. uh, how to operate at an executive level, um, reporting, um, just how you structure a recruiting team to be successful. So Jim is, yeah, he's great. Uh, after he left Uber, had been doing quite a bit of consulting, a little bit of investment on the side, but he recently just became the COO of Human Capital. So mm -hmm. he would be interesting. On top of that, gosh, there's so many, so many favorites I have. Fritz Singer uh, is the VP of talent at Checkout, mm -hmm. European-based company. Um, he's incredible. It's someone that I came up with as well. Chris Dobbins is a talent operation, head of talent operations over at DoorDash, a good friend of mine and someone that I stay close with. He's incredible. Definitely someone that you would want to talk to. A good friend of mine, Scott Lee, who heads technical recruiting over at Asana that I think would be great. These are all ex-Uber people, but ones that you know got to have that same experience of, with, with me of, of going through those three different stages of the company, that, that startup mode, pre-IPO, public. And with that, I think that you... You, you have an opportunity to learn quite a bit and have these unique experiences. So it's been really fun for me to see how my network has gone and grown 
um, and is leading talent at a lot of these different companies that are super well-known and reputable. One final shout out would be to Adelia Curtis Duarte, who's the head of talent over at Reddit. Good friend of mine who we came up with, worked very, very closely with her in the past, and she's continuing to do big things at Reddit. So those are a couple of names for you. Hopefully, Hopefully that helps. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think it also speaks volume, you know, interesting about working is it's, I mean, like you achieve a lot and have an impact, but I think it's also the the people you're working with. And yeah, it's always great to see like your, like the Uber alumni going in, you know, creating more impact overall. So yeah. And being able to, you know, tap into them as a resource or yeah, all the things that they're achieving and, and then also you as well. And also congrats on the, uh, the spec merger. That's, it's going to be also <laughs> exciting. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you so much for, you know, joining the podcast today and then sharing your experience and uh, perspectives. Really nice having you on the show. Well, thank you so much for the invite, Sophia. Like I said before, it took you long enough, but I'm glad. I'm- <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. For more, um, more insights and tips on data-driven recruiting, please visit ddr.codesignal.com. We'll see you next time.